again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I am joined by a guy sitting in the dark like a creep, Will Murden. What is going on tonight, William? We are back. Uh, I've, I don't have lights in, in the old studio here. I don't know what's going on. Doing some electrician work again there, were you, Yeah, mate? I, like in a completely different room in the other side of the house and now I've fried half the lights in, in the place, so... I don't know what the fuck to do there, but that's a bit of fun. <laughs> good, good. Uh, well, this will be the last episode in this particular recording studio for me. We are moving house tomorrow, so I'm trying to drink everything in the fridge at the moment, which did include uh, English Jess made us a nice little uh, Italian-style Nutella uh, vodka combination, which was creamy and chocolatey and delicious, but probably didn't need, like, I don't know, half a litre of uh, chocolate vodka milk before we came on air, but I've gone with it. So, yeah, this chocolate is where we're at. Chocolate vodka milk, I like that. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually okay. Anyway, we've got a massive show to get to. This is going to be our bowl game recap extravaganza. We're going big, we're going long, we're going hard. There are a lot of bowl games to get through, a lot of storylines to hit because there is crazy stuff going on in college football on the field and more so off the field, actually, with coaching changes, a plenty, stupid headlines, people saying dumb stuff in the media, and rumors circling around NFL and college um, movements as well. So there is a whole heap of crap to get to. Um, are there any hot takes that you would like to get off your chest before we start? Because I'm going to come in hot a little later in our fair dinkum section. Uh, but yeah, where do you want to go with our open? No, like I want to run right into the 360. I want to, I want to get it all happening. There's obviously been two weeks. We haven't, like, we haven't been on air, so we've just been yeah. enjoying the games and getting around that. So we've got, a, as you said, a lot to get through. So let's see if we can recap everything in however long this. We won't be able to do that. <laughs> we won't be able to do that. Uh, so you say we've been enjoying bowl games, but they've been really disappointing so far. Blowouts in both semi-finals. Alabama and Ohio State are going to play in the national championship game. Yeah, which is a nice surprise in that we get Ohio State. Like it, we all, we all expected it was going to be Clemson, Alabama. Both you and I thought that. So the fact that we got a surprise is good. The fact that it wasn't a close game, a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, Oklahoma probably deserved a more considered look from a playoff perspective. I know they had two losses, but they absolutely trashed Florida in probably the next best bowl game. Yeah, I mean, deserved in the sense that they're a very good team and they showed that. They absolutely smashed the depleted Florida team, but not deserved in the fact that they dropped those two games and and that's got to mean something. It's got to count for something. So they were never really in the running, but very, very dangerous and good football team. The ACC and Conference USA didn't win a bowl game in bowl season. Now, they were restricted in numbers, which means... If you didn't win, a, you know, you only had a couple of chances or a few chances, particularly for Conference USA. Neither of those two conferences came up with victories, but you love looking at this kind of crap. You love checking out which conferences win the bowl games because for some stupid reason you believe that is an accurate reflection on the power rankings of college football. So your thoughts on the, the wash of 
the um, bowl game outcomes from a conference perspective. Absolutely. It's my time to gloat with this, I think. So the ACC and Conference USA going uh, winless is quite the impressive feat. So over the last 20 years, there's only been three occasions where a conference has done that. Uh, where they've played in more than in four bowl, at least four bowl games. So both of those conferences did that this year and just got completely smoked. So quite out crazy scenes. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we had my Big Twelve coming forward and shining. So they were a perfect was five and zero across their bowl Six games. Six and zero. Um, and yeah, re- really impressive to finish the season in that manner after starting it in the complete opposite <laughs> direction. I mean, they, they were atrocious in the non-conference slate to start the season. So for them to come home, uh, massive wins, like the biggest win in program history for Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma, as we mentioned, to get the win that they did, and, and all the other programs to get over the rivals, all the in the bowl games that they did amazing so they'd be thrilled with that and the Sun Belt I've been talking about them all year they were the team that gave the Big 12 uh, fits early on also had a really good bowl season with only Coastal Carolina losing in an overtime thriller uh, yeah cool bullshit uh, any other points you want to make here in our 360 or are you happy to move on I think I think we've hit it Big 12 is the best ACC stinks shut and up, we Let's have Alabama high state you're a dickhead alright um, a lot of news to get to in this one uh, Tom Herman fired at Texas now I actually didn't see this coming but Stephen Sarkeesian is in if you don't know who that is he was a raging alcoholic that got fired from USC because of some indiscretions around that. When you are a reasonable football coach with a checkered history, guess who picks you up? The Alabama Crimson Tide. He worked his way from an analyst up to a an offensive coordinator, and he's made the most of that, parlayed that into a gig at Texas. This is the college football landscape at the moment. If you aren't winning national championships at a big program like Texas, you're getting fired. Interestingly, yeah. enu- interestingly enough, just sorry before I before I do handball to you, Tom Herman won every bowl game he was involved in. That included a Sugar Bowl against Georgia, a Texas Bowl, a couple of Alamo Bowls as well against reasonable teams. Yeah, he's not winning national championships, but gee, Texas were not terrible in his time there. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, they crushed Colorado in the bowl game and still not enough. Just before that bowl game, the AD had come out and said, uh, you know, we back him in as, as our football coach uh, after not being able to land Urban Meyer, as the reports will have it. And then for him to them to turn around and say, no, nah, you're out, we're taking, like, actually an alcoholic, Steve Sarkeesian, which yeah. I, like, I'm happy to see him turn this around. He, he has done a fantastic job with that Alabama offense being number one or number two scoring in the nation the last two years. Uh, like, it's it's crazy to think that Tom Herman has been good. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been bad. He's been good at that program, and good's not enough. So they have, mm. they've turned the screws, moved it around, and I think a lot of the Texas faithful are kind of okay with it. Yeah, and sometimes good is the enemy of great in lots of respects. Uh, but... These really good coaches are, you know, not easy to find. And Steve Sarkeesian, the coming from the Alabama program, we've seen how that has worked in the past. So, 
interesting to see how Texas move forward from here. Brian Harson will become Auburn's next coach. He's been at Boise State for seven years. Fantastic reputation on the West Coast. He's a West Coast guy, and I thought he was going to be a Boise State lifer. He's actually from there. Uh, and But he'll look to take this Auburn team and try and turn Bo Nix into something that resembles an average quarterback. Yeah, very tough gig having to share a state with Nick Saban. So good on him for taking on that challenge. Interestingly, Boise have reached out and gone after Kellen Moore, the uh, superstar Boise quarterback who's the current offensive coordinator at the Dallas Cowboys. And by the latest reports that I've read is that he's turned that down and he's going to stick around with the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, he seems like yeah, an NFL dude at the moment. Clark Lee leaves Notre Dame as the defensive coordinator there, returns to his alma mater in Vanderbilt, and he'll take over the Commodore reins there and see if he can turn that program a little bit around that a rough year this year, and, and he'll be looking to make some inroads there. One of the harder jobs in all of college football, Vanderbilt. Very prestigious academic school, playing in a very difficult SEC conference. Yeah, which... Uh, probably lost on a few Australians, I would suggest, but the, the academic rigors to get into a school like Vanderbilt at times do make things... I guess it doesn't open every player up to you, uh, and Vandy are one of the schools that has to deal with that. Uh, Urban Meyer to the NFL, which not a current college coach, and that is not fact yet, but there's plenty of noise circling him and him returning to coaching, but not in a college capacity, but with an NFL team, which leaves uh, programs like uh, New York Jets, Jacksonville, uh, the Detroit Lions, the Houston Texans, but it seems like he's going to stay in the state of Florida. Yeah, it seems like he's circling around the Jacksonville job there, and you can kind of understand it. Like He was only ever going to get back into the coaching realm if everything aligned and he loved the situation. And with what Jacksonville's got going on, they've got a fairly decent young core built there. They'll draft Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick, so they're going to have a stud franchise quarterback to build around. They've got a number of first-round picks over the next couple of years. This, this is a program that's in an exciting spot, so I'll be fascinated to follow that one uh, and, and really get around that. Dan Mullen, the Florida Gators head man, has also... There's been some noise, uh, whispers only at this stage around him potentially looking at NFL jobs as well. I don't know if that is on the back of his situation and game that was played on the weekend or if that's his true direction, but that's an interesting development in Florida. Yeah, I'd be very surprised at that. I think he's still got stuff to achieve there and he'd be aiming to kind of continue to build things at Florida and and get that SEC conference championship that they fell just short of this year. Okay, here we go. Just... Here we go. I'm moving into Fair Dinkum and I've got two and they're pretty big. They're pretty lengthy. It's a bit of a diatribe, but I'm going to go with it because after this bowl season, I have become, and I had a big conversation with my brother actually. It went for about two and a half hours and it started off, we were talking about NCAA football and that then escalated into a massive conversation about the state of college football as a whole. Um, But... I have become particularly disgruntled with college football at the moment and this bowl season not being what I think it should be. And here is my fair dinkum. The traditions of college football that you love, that I love, that so many people love, and the thing that created college football in its existence now are currently the thing that is holding it back from progressing. 
And this is going to be a three-pronged argument. The first part is amateurism. This is supposed to be non-professional athletics. That's the tradition of college football. It is non-professional. But there is so much money, there's so much media attention going around in this sport at the moment. And there is this consistent play in some sense of moral high ground that the NCAA is trying to maintain, but it is in fact not that this um, issue around amateurism continues to come to the fore. Here's a fun fact. Public schools have paid out contracts uh, in America this year over $100 million. And now Tom Herman and Gus Malzahn are taking a fair chunk of that. But either way, these schools are paying millions of dollars for these men to not coach their teams next year. Now, a player gets in trouble if someone buys them a sandwich. But you're kidding me if this is any kind of parity and any kind of equality at the moment. That's point number one. Point number two, bowl games used to be a fabulous tradition. But the resistance to change means that players are opting out. Teams don't care anymore. Um, and we'll go into that later with the Florida situation. We saw North Carolina have all their players opt out. Anyone that's going on to the NFL doesn't want to play in these bowl games. They're not interesting. They're not relevant. They're not they don't hold any value anymore. You've gone to a playoff. If you're not in a playoff bowl game, the Sugar Bowl, irrelevant. The Orange Bowl, irrelevant. The Cotton Bowl, irrelevant. Sorry, the Sugar Bowl wasn't. That was a playoff game this year. The Fiesta Bowl, also irrelevant. These games don't matter anymore. And they should. You want to hold them still because of that tradition, but they don't hold value because you're slow to change and you're trying to maintain this tradition and it's just not there. Lastly, it's a whole bunch of old white dudes making decisions um, and these traditions on game day extend to rivalries and therefore who they will and won't play. Schedule makers and school ADs create schedules far in advance that they are unwilling to move on. They're unwilling to budge on and... It's creating this continual melting pot of issues around college football. So that's my first one. Your thoughts, Will? Look, you're really going in on a lot of levels of college football there. I think the second point is of particular interest to me when we talk about the bowl games and, and the lack of kind of people wanting to play in them. And you can kind of understand it from the player standpoint. Like you don't have to look far. You look at what happened to Derek King in, in that one there. And it's, it's incidents like that that kind of make players think, well, I'm not going to play. Like Tylen Wallace didn't take a snap in the second half after that no, happened. He was like, fuck this. Yeah. And, and it absolutely played into it. They were like, oh, Jesus, that's like a paycheck there that, that I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm missing out on. So th there's always going to be that aspect of it. And you're but right. It's getting worse. You're right. It is getting worse. But I think if we still had the BCS, that that would still be the case. If we still had a national championship, and it was just the Orange Bowl, I think it would be the same situation. I think the only way to fix that is to expand the playoff. Get all four of the, the, the bowl games as a semi-final. Then all four of those games are going to have stacked teams because they're all playing for it still. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe. Uh, I, still, I still think, and this, I'll, this is going to develop into my next... Fa so fair dingham or not? Happy with that or not really? I think you made some very valid points in there, mate. Okay. My second one is that the group of five is more fun and more competitive than the power five. I kind of like that too, yeah. 
So here we go. We're go I'm going in deep here. But if you look at the American, what is what they consider themselves like the six power five conference. But every single one of those teams has played in meaningful games and been competitive in the last five years. Houston, Memphis, Cincy, UCF have all been good. Tulsa, really good this year. SMU in the last couple of years has been good. South Florida won a um, conference championship not that long ago. They have everyone within their history. Temple. Under Matt Rule, won a conference championship. Every single school there has had some fantastic moments over the last five, six, seven years that they can hang their hat on. And their, their fans can remember that. And I think that's fantastic. The MAC has had a different championship winner over the last six years. We haven't had a repeat winner over the last six years. Awesome. Conference USA tells a similar story. The Mountain West, which has been dominated admittedly by Boise State, but they've had eight out of the 12 teams in the Mountain West have appeared in the championship game since 2013. That means as a fan of those teams, of that conference, you've had your team in the conference championship game. So I think that's fantastic for the group of five. If you're a fan of the group of five, you've got a chance. You feel like you're in it every year. Not on a national level. You're not going to win a national championship, but you're going to win your conference or going to be competitive in your conference over the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. If we then flip that to the power five and why the power five is so boring at the moment, of the top 100 players in the 2021 recruiting class, 48 of them have signed with five schools. Now, that means that, and we already know this, that the top schools are hoarding all the talent. And there's still some left to sign. So we're going to be have a situation here where over half of the best college players in the country are going to sign with only one out of five schools. That means that if you are a fan of any other school, you're not competitive. And we've seen, again, that bowl games, your non-playoff non games are not valued. They're not valued by ESPN. They're not valued by the players. They're not valued by the coaches. 98% of college football fans go home disappointed every year because their team is not in the top four, and they never are going to be. It's impossible for these teams to make that playoff under the current situation so I'm becoming really, really frustrated. Alabama dominated. Oklahoma dominated. Clemson have dominated. Um, you know, the Pac-12, it's been Washington and Oregon. Uh, who am I missing here? Ohio State. Uh, and Ohio State. Like, it is just boring in Power 5 football. Look, I, I do tend to agree with you. you. You bring up a very good point. So the, the one argument I will have that I'll lead with against what you're saying there is that all the Power 5 schools need to be seeking to win a national championship and going for the top four. I think for a lot of programs that aren't the ones that you've mentioned, winning the conference is kind of, you know, that'd be awesome. As a fan base, if you could get around that and if you could knock over an Oklahoma in a Big 12, if you could kind of see the end of this Clemson reign in the ACC, I think that would be enough. And, like, naturally, if you're doing that, you're probably getting into the four. But, like, if I take Iowa State as an example this year in the Big 12, Iowa State fan base would be charged. This was an awesome year for them. They'd be, like, supremely devastated that they dropped that Big 12 championship game because that was their shot. But they were in it, and, and that was exciting for them in that. So, like, there is that aspect of winning your conference. Like, they were never going to win the national, national championship. They're not going to shape up to the Ohio State's, the Alabama's, 
uh, even you know Clemson's. They're, they're not in that that ball game. But if they had won the Big Twelve, that would have been massive for them. It, it was a great year, regardless. But all the points that you make about the group of five, spot on. Like, I think we need to become group of five guys. I think we need to fucking focus in on that, really get around it, watch a lot more of that football, follow the storylines there. I mean, why do we deep dive on these other schools? Because really, Wake Forest, you don't have a chance. Yeah, you might shake it up. UNC, like, yeah, cool. You were okay this year. But in reality, you're not competitive. So I find it really disheartening, really frustrating um, and, and as an Oklahoma State fan, you're probably, you embody that more than anyone. You're a small school in a tough to recruit area. You're, sorry, mate, but you never have a chance at a national championship. Well, but that's where that, that 2011 season where I was over there was kind of, that was our shot. That was when we were but, relevant. But you could was... be waiting 70 years for another crack at that. Absolutely. Now, and, and some people argue, some people argue like, oh, go fucking watch the NFL then, where there is parity. And I get that there's not, but the difference between the haves and the have-nots is becoming so large that college football is becoming less and less enjoyable at the power five level. Yeah, well, and it's, it's just the domination of each conference by so yeah. few that, that's yeah. really kind of a bit off-putting, you know? Like, and those teams, are, based on those recruiting numbers, they're not getting any worse. Like... We saw some flips, and, and it seemed like the 2000s were the last time that teams ebbed and flowed. And now you've got the situation where particularly Texas, Michigan, uh, not so much Miami because they don't have the money, but you look at those kind of next schools down, and it's like, we have the money, we have the facilities. USC. We're expecting to do it. USC, why aren't we doing it? And they're just not there, and they're not going to be because that recruiting and that infrastructure and all that sort of stuff is just not there. Anyway, we can do more of this in the off-season because I've burnt so much clock on these two things. But I'm particularly passionate about it. I'm particularly frustrated about it because I think the landscape of college football has changed even in my lifetime of following it, which is minuscule compared to so many others. Anyway, let's get into some... Whilst having said all that... I love this sport. So let's move on. Um, let's get into some game recaps. We're going to go through these in order. Uh, so let's jump from the start now. We've already done App State and North Texas. So the next game, BYU 49, UCF 23. BYU's offense got going again and handled the Golden Knights pretty comfortably. Yeah, not much to talk about there except Zach Wilson was fantastic again. Had a phenomenal game, uh, three passing touchdowns, two on the ground, and really kind of cemented his place as a, a top quarterback prospect moving forward. Like, he's a first-round draft pick. Yeah, he is now, which is awesome because I'm all about Zach Wilson. Nevada, Georgia Southern, and Memphis all win. Hawaii 28, Houston 14. What are your thoughts on Houston? Now, I know um, you're not a... We sort of came from the Tom Herman Houston, which was really, really strong. And then, you know, they get a big rec uh, recruiting coup from a coaching perspective uh, when they lure across Dana Holgerson from West Virginia, which is the first time someone's moved from Power 5 to Group of 5 through choice. And he just sort of hasn't got it going there. No, he hasn't. They've been fairly disappointing on the year. So they've ended up three and five. Uh, I don't think they were a very good team this year. Like yeah, it, there is it, that. It's just kind of where they're at. They're, they don't have a lot of tools. So they're still building on things there. When Tom Herman left, uh, it was a bit of a surprising one for Dana Holgerson to take on because that team had kind of really peaked out and, and it needed to be built up again. So it's not as if he was inheriting this 
group of five team that was in a great spot. There's a, there was a fair bit of work to be done there, and it hasn't certainly happened. But I think he's still a man who can make make that make something out of that program. Buffalo seventeen, Marshall ten. Both of these offenses just tanked to close the season. Um, a disappointing finish finish for both teams. Certainly Marshall, who were ranked. Uh, and undefeated at one point, but then all of a sudden couldn't score any points. Yeah, dropped their last three, uh, which was really disappointing for them. It just kind of went completely off the boil. Uh, This game was kind of the epitome of what we saw with a lot of these bowl games, with opt-outs at key positions just really kind of deflating what what we saw on the field, and then that was really reflected. And, you know, the Jarrett Patterson, the... Touchdown machine at Buffalo, not there. It's is it Knox at uh, Marshall, yeah. not available. Like both of those guys going out really kind of made this one a disappointing matchup. Now we've got our first soundbite here as we jump into Liberty and Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, both actually both these schools, but certainly Coastal Carolina have been headliner after headliner this year, and rightly so. But this is the strangest ending to and, a game that I've seen in a long. And long this time. is probably the best game of all the bowl games as well. If you're going to go back and watch one, this is a weird one. So I'm going to give you this play. It's probably not going to make sense. Normally, I give you field goals or touchdown scored. This is not that. This is one of the weirdest endings ever, but here we go. First down and goal. Play for a last-second field goal to get out of Orlando with his second straight bowl victory. Oh, but Kelly this time drifts into the end zone, lost the football. The ball came out. Unbelievable. Now let's see who has it. Coastal Carolina recovers. What is Jerome Jackson, number 88, even doing in there? That's the question. I just love that little bit. I had to run a little bit of a longer clip, a longer clip there because Jerome Jackson, as a wide res- like, I, I, I don't even want to explain it. You need to go back and watch it. Um, just over a minute to go. The game is tied. Liberty driving the ball, and it looks like they were playing for a, t- uh, a field goal. So the running back sort of gets it, and he's like literally tiptoeing. looks like he's walking on eggshells. Well, yeah, so they got down to the two. The play before, they had taken a knee. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they, they were winding it down. They were going to wait for the last second and then have a chip shot field goal from the two-yard line to win it. And he tiptoes towards the goal line. All of a sudden, Coastal Carolina are allowing him to score. Uh, They're actively uh, pulling him into the end zone. They're like, we yeah. need you to score if we want a chance in this game. Yeah. And he's fighting and then- back like, nah, fuck that. I ain't doing that. <laughs> So he just puts the ball on the car. And yeah, and then a receiver for his team comes over and goes, "Well, I want to help out here. I, I don't know what's going on," which is probably fair. Like to be fair to the receiver, how's he supposed to, to? Like to the defense is or... trying to pull him in. He's trying to get out of the end zone. The ball spills out, which is just like <laughs> I, I was watching it live and I just lost my mind at that period. I was texting you like, "This is unbelievable." Um, so that was super, super weird. They were just trying to take a knee on an inside run and it just, it it was a a hot mess. Uh, anyway, Coastal Carolina recovered. The game goes to overtime because it's 34 all. Liberty neither score a touchdown nor take a knee. So 
Um, but eventually they kick a field goal and and, and sneak a, <laughs> sneak a win out over Coastal Carolina. Yeah, uh, uh, that was crazy ending, but it was like it was a really good game in the lead up to it as well. Liberty started hot. Uh, Malik Willis, who was awesome all year, really got going uh, on the ground. Gra- Just a quick one: May grad transfer as well into something next year, so keep an eye on him. Okay, that's an interesting one because he was originally an Auburn, uh, a highly recruited Auburn guy who didn't get anything going there and then kind of transferred over to Liberty. So that's certainly a storyline to follow. But he was excellent uh, in the first half and they opened up a two-score lead. Uh, Coastal Carolina couldn't really stop them on defense, but then that strange little offense they got going uh started happening for them and it was cool to watch so they started slugging it out and as you mentioned 34 a piece before that crazy ending like this really was this this had everything and then some yeah well, mate i'm i'm becoming a group of five uh follower from this point on louisiana 31 utsa 24 georgia state won the lending tree bowl don't even know what that is let's move on to the cheese it bowl Oklahoma State 37, Miami 34. I'll I'll lead you in here. I'll lead you down the garden path. But the Cowboys threw the ball a million times. Now, it it came out... Oklahoma State had had the most success this year running the ball. And Miami and Manny Diaz came out in the year and said, yep, we know what we're preparing for. Like, they're going to run the ball well. They decided, they're like, nah, we ain't doing that. So they just decided to pass, like, 16 of the first 19 plays from scrimmage or something. They got them a 21-point lead. From there, the Canes fought their way back into the game. As you have already mentioned there, we're in the process. De'Eric King blew out his knees, done an ACL. Uh, so he will be, we'll wait and see it, uh, on, on how long that is going to be for him. Tylen Wallace, as you mentioned, left the game early as well, uh, which was disappointing for both teams, probably more from the Miami side of thing, I suppose, with the injury. You just lose Tylen Wallace for the game and then he'll move on to the NFL. But um, Derek King, of course, came and came out earlier in the week and said he was returning to Miami next year, not going to the NFL um, and then, you know, halfway through the second quarter, he has done an ACL. What were your thoughts on this game and and how the Cowpokes, you know, managed to get this win? Look, if anyone's doing a good, bad and ugly segment across the bowl season, this matchup certainly deserve, deserves to live squarely in the ugly spot. Like, it was a <laughs> fucking ugly matchup. And like, both you and I have rooting interest in this one, so it was good yeah. fun for us to get around. But fuck, it was hard to enjoy the match with just the <laughs> amount of shit that was going on. Like, the flags on both sides, more so oh. against your boys. Like, they were just oh. getting crucified passing the ball. Frustrating coaching calls. So, like, from the Oklahoma State side, as you mentioned, started so well. It's just, we hadn't seen it all year. They scripted it up, came out, we're going to pass the ball and execute it. Like, just completed every pass, put up 21 points in the first quarter, and I was like, finally, it's the old Oklahoma State of old. We're back. They're getting it done. They were able to get a little bit more time for Spencer Sanders, which has been the big yeah. issue for him. Uh, and it was kind of a little bit like, oh, Miami don't have the pass rush, so that's kind of this, not, this isn't going to be much of a game. But then after that, that just completely went away. And it was as if they went in their shell. Uh, The pressure started to mount up from the defensive side of the ball. Uh, 
Oklahoma State got really conservative and were just getting kind of trampled, and then Miami started to get going. And then just when you thought things were getting cool there, Derek King goes down and blows out his knee for what is the worst moment of the bowl season as well. You just kind of felt awful because this is a guy who earlier that week had come out and said, I'm coming back for another year. Like He, he has potential pro prospects. We've both talked about the fact that he, he could declare and make things happen. He does what we consider to be the right thing in our eyes because we love college football, comes back for another year to try and do something special with this Canes team, and then now he's going to be fucking out for the year. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. So we saw that. I mean, it was fun in that it got to the last and they were trading shots. Like, mm. like this was this was live. Uh, we had made a, a little wager on this one that the loser was to shave in a, a shitty uh, Spencer Sanders goatee because it's just awful. I don't know what he's doing there, but uh, <laughs> we saw that. And like result, it, I've got to go out into public looking <laughs> like an absolute fucking spanker. Jess is like, seriously, dude, like what? I cannot, I cannot look at you right now. I'm so, really glad because I was back in the office this week and I didn't want to have to explain <laughs> my new 2021 look. Yeah, uh, I, I mean... Back on this game, you have handled this so much better than than I have because I feel like I'm going to come out massive sour grapes here, but I am so disappointed with this. I actually thought the Canes, outside of the first quarter, they they checked it like you said. They were just you guys were just torching us through the air, playing a lot of soft zone defense, and then they switched it to a, a lot more like press man cover one sort of stuff. And I thought the Canes were actually on top for almost three quarters certainly the second quarter most of the third there was a couple of patches where you guys got hot um but the canes outgained them but there were so many chances drop passes muff punts penalties um here's a fun fact for you our quarterback who got injured in the second quarter had more receiving yards than either of our starting wide receivers how fucked is that like mark pope drops another play d wiggins should have scored on a tunnel screen from Nikosi Perry, who came in and did a pretty good job in relief of De'Eric King. Should have scored on a tunnel screen, just dropped it. Mike Pope missed on a flea flicker. And at the end of the game, um, yeah, there was just so many opportunities. I was so, so frustrated. Uh, but this is, you know, this is where Miami's at at the moment. And, and like I said, I'm becoming more and more disgruntled. So this is probably what I should expect. Having said that, Miami's won one of the last... They've won one bowl game in the last 15 years. Oklahoma State are batting well above that. So you revert back to your record, and that is what both teams did here. Yes, and from the Oklahoma State side, the, the one positive takeaway from me, apart from winning it, which is always good to kind of get that, is uh, Brennan Presley, the mm. freshman uh, wide receiver who started on fire. Like He ended Didn't up accounting he? for three touchdowns, but... You were a little bit surprised, like, who the fuck is this guy? I'm like, no, he's yeah. a player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's easier for the national media to go, who the fuck is this guy? He's had one catch yeah, all year. And he didn't in this game. He had three TDs. So, all right, let us move on. And, and we can now sleep, relax, and freak out in nine months' time. Uh, the Alamo Bowl, Texas 55, Colorado 23. Sam Ellinger left the game early with an injury but it didn't really matter the horns went up early and it was never really close thanks to Bijan robinson who is 
a beast as a true freshman. Blew the game out early. He only had 10 carries, but 183 yards, an early touchdown. Was just trashing people. Casey Thompson came in. He threatened to transfer earlier in the year. Um, apparently a real heady uh, game studier type quarterback, but he did a really good job. Only completed eight passes, but when four go for touchdowns, then you're probably tracking okay. Yeah, not a bad hit rate. Uh, I think both you and I were a little bit surprised at Colorado's season, so four and one across their Pac-12 schedule, and they were really impressed. Like This was a team that lost their head coach and was supposed to take a big step backwards this year, and really were impressive in all of their outings. So coming into this one it was going to be interesting to see how they shaped up but they were just completely outgunned like texas did this easy blew them blew the doors off from the start and kind of then managed to kick away as well so it's yeah a strange one uh, ellinger going down has now declared for the draft so he obviously is a guy that he's such a college dude you could see him going the Derek king way and coming back for another year and maximizing his time at a level and like, I don't know what he's got left to prove outside of kind of winning something uh, like a Big 12 at Texas. But with the change in head coach, he's obviously invested with Tom Herman. That's his guy. With him moving on, he's going to try and make something happen at the pros. I don't like as a quarterback. Is that where he's going? He He's in the Tim T. I, I, this, this is probably a really bad take, but he's in the Tim Tebow mold. Not as a, He's a way better passer than what Tebow was, but... He's relatively short. He's chunky. He run he he runs that spread power offense where he has been a big runner of the ball and, and taken a lot of contact. He looks like a fullback from like the nineteen seventies, but he that does, doesn't really yeah. have a role at at the professional level anymore. Correct. He, he's not an athletic enough running quarterback for that to be a true threat at the next level. Like he, no. if he if he tries that style there, he's just gonna get hurt. Yeah. Uh, he, he's not a Lamar Jackson. He's not Cam Newton. Like he, he, he's big, but he's not fast enough to be outrunning dudes. He needs to kind of take that contact to make it worthwhile. And he's not a good enough passer to be a pocket player or, or someone like a true dual threat. So it'll be interesting to see how things go for him. I think he tries to make it as a quarterback, but I'd be very surprised to see if he gets drafted in the early rounds there. But, and, and then he's got to try like, and make it from there. Why draft him at all? Like, I, know, I, know, I know we don't really need to get into this now, but like, if you're not, I've always believed if you're not taking quarterback in the early round, what's the point in drafting him? You're wasting a pick on a, on a quarterback like him. He's not going to make it. Yeah, look, I tend to agree with you there. It's, it's highly unlikely. It's someone who sees his skill set and thinks, I can, I can make something out of this. Uh, and who knows? Uh, the the way I that ja- well, the way that Jalen Hurts has kind of started. I know you were kind of different very... quarterbacks, different quarterbacks. Yeah, but similar in the s- sort of style that they've got going on. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Both like, uh, both have their limitations. They do. Jalen Hurts is a fractionally more twitchy. He's a better runner. Anyway, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> Cotton Bowl, uh, Oklahoma 55, Florida 20. Now, Florida obviously coming off of their SEC championship game. Oklahoma finishing the season as hot as anybody. And now in hindsight, you know, Oklahoma don't didn't deserve a chance to play in the playoff. But a better team than Notre Dame now. 
Uh, now, would Oklahoma have beaten Alabama? No. But they probably deserved a crack as much as anybody. Before we... You can do all the game analysis here. All I'm going to say is Dan Mullen should not talk to the media. Like, uh, at after-game interviews, he's a fucking retard. He came out at earlier in the year and was talking about how he wanted the stadium full with COVID. Then he wanted it empty, and he thought that was okay. Because well, he got COVID. He, well, yeah, exactly. But then his comments after getting smoked by Oklahoma were horrific. Were really, really bad. Like, he came out and said, we played our national championship game last week. We didn't care about this week. You can't say that. Like, this, again, if I lean into what I was saying earlier in the episode, the attitude here from a head coach after you get your ass whooped is that you don't care. We played our game last week. The SEC is that all that matters. Um, Oklahoma haven't played an SEC schedule. There was all this stuff out there. There was all this content from Florida players, from Florida coaches that, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, the SEC is so good, this, so good, that. And then they get fucking walloped by 35 points. Give me a break. Go out there and do something. Don't just get your ass handed to you by Alabama and then get trashed by Oklahoma and then say you don't care. Pathetic. Yeah, look, I agree with you. Oklahoma were super impressive. It was, it was polar opposites. It was a team that really wanted to be there, and you could see it on the Oklahoma sideline. They were pumped up. They were amped. This was a big shot for them. They had three crushing losses to the SEC in their last three bowl appearances, all college football semifinal games. So for them, this was an opportunity for them to make a statement. That, you know, They're a legit side, and they're not happy with that. Flora, on the other hand, is, it's kind of almost what Dan Mullen said, to be fair. Like... They seemed like they didn't care. They know that they had players out. I don't know what was going on with Kyle Trask. He had easily his worst game of the year. Through his first pass that was picked off and returned to the house. Had another two picks in the first half as well. It was just terrible. And like for mine, it was, well, all the talk was, you know, they ain't, Oklahoma ain't an SEC team. And, and, you know, they ain't shit. I think... It's just that Florida hadn't come up against a Big 12 defense, you know? It, it, <laughs> that's what it's been this year. Those Big 12 defenses have been quite staunch. So when Kyle Trask finally had to come up against the might and power that is the Big 12 defense, uh, he really struggled. And, it, like, from that, you, you don't need to be giving the Sooners points on the defensive side of the ball because they can do plenty of that offensively. Lincoln Riley's doing a fantastic job there. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, since oh. entering Ooh. the mix halfway Ooh. through the year, has yeah. been nothing short of incredible. Like He had another massive day. 18 carries, 180-odd yards, big touchdown. Will's had a good take. Yay. <laughs> Have a look at the boy too. He's a big fella who can lay the hit. Imagine him and Trey Sermon sharing the backfield oh. from what we've seen uh, of the two of these guys combined across the postseason. They've probably been the two most impressive postseason players and they were playing together at one stage. So. Yeah, they were. I just, I'm, I, I can't stand when coaches come out with that sort of stuff and yeah, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but if coaches are coming out and saying it, it makes it really hard for players. Well, it's impossible. If coaches aren't buying in, players aren't buying in. Anyway, Absolutely. Let's move. And like, it's not an out. Like, we didn't care. Well, that's on you to make them care. That, that's, yeah, exactly. that's part of your fucking job. That's what you yeah. get paid to do. Yeah, your school's going to take like a million dollar bonus for playing in one of the most prestigious bowl games. What are you just going to... 
I assume you're not taking that paycheck then school, you bunch of fuckwits. Anyway, I think Florida take a massive step back next year as well. You lose Kyle Trask. Dan Mullen, you know, he's uh, umming and ahhing about what he does. Kyle Pitt's not there. I don't think the skill position players are there. So I think Florida is set for a bit of a fall from grace. Duke's Mayo Bowl, Wisconsin 42, Wake Forest 28. Wisconsin weren't exactly good. Their offense only managed 266 yards on the day. So let's not get too carried away with whiskey here. Um, but four second-half interceptions allowed them to pull away easily. Five of their six touchdown drives were 33 yards or less, including three starting inside the 10. Fuck, we could have scored on some of those, I reckon. I cannot be the only one disappointed that the coach did not get a mayonnaise bath at the end of that game. <laughs> Paul Chris just copping mayonnaise. That would have been brilliant. Do you think it would come out like hard or how would that work? Well, it depends, be how much, it depends how much eggs in it. Like, is this one of those real thick mayonnaise setups? That's what I'm thinking like where they like turn it and they're just kind of giving it that and like someone's <laughs> tapping the end of it and yeah, trying to get yeah. it down. Um, anyway, I like again disappointing for for Wake Forest because they did turn the ball over so much. Sam Hartman is a good quarterback. They they're well coached and they just couldn't they couldn't stop turning the ball over and and you know Wisconsin made them play made them pay. I don't think Wisconsin are a good team still, and I wouldn't get carried away with this. I I think if you play this game ten times, I actually think Wake Forest probably win it more than they lose it. Um, the other highlight of this is the trophy didn't last longer than about 10 minutes in the locker room. I don't know if you saw that one. It did. That's always good. <laughs> I love a good trophy break. <laughs> yeah. Smashed into pieces. Ball State 34, San Jose State 13. My Spartans did not get up. Ball State just come home with a wet sail this year. They are up and about. Fantastic story too. So this is a program that has never won a bowl game. Yeah. They've been this around. This is what we want from the fucking group the, of five. The group of five delivering again. So they've been around for a bloody long time. Uh, and for them to do this on this year and, and really turn things on and do it in such convincing fashion, like well, we saw. Was, yeah, for sure. And this was a team that nearly didn't make the MAC championship game because of that crazy lateral where there was players all over the field and all that kind of stuff that then got <laughs> called back. They won the game. If they lose that game, they don't make the MAC championship game. If they don't make the MAC championship game, they don't get to play the winner of the Mountain West and go and beat them. So, like a massive, massive kind of last month for the Cardinals. So, well done them and, and good on them. 45 years of history. Love it. Mississippi State 28, Tulsa 26. Nothing too much to report about this one except when teams get narky after the final whistle. That includes fly kicks. That includes all-in punches, helmets. I'm assuming you saw the massive brawl in this one. Oh, yeah, all over this one. So this was a terrible look for the college football game, to be honest. It's, it's not good. It was, it was a chippy affair throughout, uh, and Mississippi State ended up getting up on top 28-26. And then after the final whistle, as you mentioned, tempers kind of flare, and it just turns into a 
good old fashioned I, brawl. I didn't like. really see what ignited it. There was some talk that like a player was injured and trying to get off the field or something, and then yeah, some kid who a- couldn't breathe. I did, I did read that somewhere. It was tough to kind of catch that from the footage that you've seen, but it, it's all like pretty poor to watch. And and what yeah. I hate most about it is the gloating afterwards. So mm. a lot of like it, it's kind of the generation these days. You and I aren't big on this, but like the Instagram live and all of that sort of stuff. And the dude who kicked the bloke when he was on the Wide deck, who, like, and then kicked like, and ran off and, and hit behind everybody at, at like real speed. He showed real four <laughs> two speed after dunking him on the deck there. Uh, just like talking how tough he was and shit in the locker room after it. I'm like, come on, dude, and. Surely at some point, like, yeah, your program's happy you won a bowl game, but your coaches have got to be pretty fucking irate with yeah. what's gone down there. And, it, it like, it's just a, a massive black eye on the sport. You don't want to see that shit. Like, there's a lot of it, you know, boys with boys, and it's a tough physical sport, and, you know, you want to look after your mates. I'm all for all of that shit, but this was just it's, not, it's not good. I, I think the thing is, from an Australian perspective, it's a different type of fighting. Because in a footy game with fighting, if you if you're swinging and you're putting fists to faces, you are knowing that you're going to get suspended, but knowing that fists are going to rain down on you as well, and knowing that you could be in real trouble. The issue with college football is players can sort of come from anywhere with genuine weapons in hand, with helmets on. There's a lot of hard plastic. Um, and you don't really, it, it becomes very uh, like pack. They jump dudes on the ground and we don't see that in footy anymore. You'll see a lot of like standing up, wrestling, jostling, jumper punches, but you very rarely see like a dude on the ground surrounded by 40 people from another team and another staff and all that kind of stuff. And it looks very panicked uh, fighting, which I'm not condoning any type of fighting, I was the worst fighter ever. That's why I played full forward because it always happened up the ground. Um, but it, it just looks like if you throw a punch, you don't know where it's coming from. It could come from anywhere. And that sort of doesn't happen in Aussie rules so much. Yeah, like you're right. It, it's, it's a mess, but it's also strange. Like throwing punches at dudes with helmets on, you're just going to fucking hurt but, yourself. But one dude had his helmet ripped off. And he yeah, was and that's when she gets well. He was like, fuck, I'm, I'm out of here. And that's the thing. Like that's like this, this wide receiver comes in and fly kicks a dude. Like if they were actually going toe to toe with nothing on, no protective equipment on, you're like, like it happens in rugby and in footy you're like yeah i can handle it you two blow or ice hockey go your hardest knock each other out if that's what you want to do but when you've got dudes coming from all angles it gets dangerous to the point of it being a criminal offense anyway let us move on west virginia 24 army 21 let's get into the peach bowl because we really should and we're running out of time georgia take on cincinnati with his first career game winning field goal attempt from 54 yards out. There it is. Got it. Happy New Year, Bulldogs. Whatever. Happy New Year, Bulldogs. 24-21. When you look at the score, you probably think that it was 21 all and and Georgia hits a a field goal to win. That wasn't the case. They were down 19 to 21. Uh, It was a 53-yarder from Jake Podlensny. 
Uh, oh, I Cincinnati didn't know how to win this. That's that's effectively what it came down to. They were up 21-19, a minute and change to go. They had third and two from their own 40, and they ran a sprint right, flood concepts. They had like a deep corner route and out, and then something in the flat as well. Uh, if if um, Desmond Ritter leads his deep wide receiver a fraction more, he's probably got him because the Georgia DB was in a whole heap of trouble there. But uh, he left it short since he have to punt it away and the Bulldogs move within field goal range. The rest is history. Cincinnati probably, I don't know if they even deserve to be up this much. I don't know. They gave up eight sacks. JT Daniels had 392 yards through the air since he led 21-10 going into the last. So this one feels like it's got to sting so badly because all of the group of five hopes were held on your shoulders, Cincinnati, and your Bearcats will. They just couldn't quite get it done. Yeah, absolutely devastating result for them to, I I think, truly outplay uh, Georgia for the better part of three and a half quarters of football. Like that, they were the better team in this one, and then got a little bit conservative in the last, and then got aggressive when they kind of w- were reaching almost. Like it was just poor yeah. clock management, and like you and I have spoken about this one, uh, that you know, benefit of hindsight, it's easy to rag on these calls. You know, you get into a third and two when you're trying to kill the clock and you run the ball to wear the other 42 seconds and, and ice the game or do you try and dial up a play that's going to win it for you right right then and there? And that's what they tried to do. Came up short. I mean, hell of a kick to for, for any college player to come that out and bang PB. a 54-yarder. 54, 54 uh, in a in a big time bowl game like the Peach Bowl for him, that's that's a an impressive effort. But man, like this Cincinnati team has been very good all year. They've been a, an incredible defensive unit, and to kind of go down like that is absolutely gut wrenching. So James Smith has been a fantastic servant for them as the punter there. That was his last game. He had a a, a good outing. But our, our new love for the group of five that we have just kind of developing over this episode, and I think it's going to really nurture over the, uh, the off-season, um, it, it's, this one definitely stings. It does. I just I don't rate the play call. I just don't. Third and two, you've got a running quarterback. Sure, if, you, if your quarterback's a passer, but run the ball. If you go backwards, cool, you've taken 40 seconds off the clock and you punt it anyway. If you get it to fourth and one or fourth and inches, fucking go for it and see if you can win the game right there for sure. But don't don't throw it on third and two on a sprint out. You know how much I hate these fucking sprint out plays. Like, uh, And it just looked like a team that didn't know how to win it in the big moment. And as soon as you saw them punt it away to Georgia with 130, you were like, no, no this game's toast. In the Citrus Bowl, Northwestern 35, your boys. Uh, Auburn 19, not my boys. A very Auburn performance on offense, and I'm glad I do not need to watch them again until next year. They can nuke themselves into their spring and summer holidays from this point on. I do not care because I do not need to watch War Eagle anymore. Uh, Northwestern tried to run the ball all day. 51 run plays for 166 yards. Not great going. 3.3 yards a carry. That's not going to pay the bills. 
Um, but they did a, did a better job than Auburn, who only managed about 60 yards on the ground. But with that, Northwestern did manage to control the clock. They controlled the tempo and ultimately controlled the game as well. So the Wildcats finish off on a really, really good note. Yeah, probably the most underrated and underappreciated team on the year, I would say, from what we've seen out the back uh, back half of this season, in particular the last couple of games. So Peyton Ramsey had probably his best career game in this one. Like, he's never been a dude to put up numbers, but he went 24-35, nearly 300 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Like, that's those are really good numbers. As you said, they try to run the ball. They try to force it. They're not normally a team that's been able to get it done through the air. So he had a fantastic outing and, and really led this team to put up 35 points like you and I joke that this they, they can't score more than 21 and they don't often need to because it's the defense that's really led them this way and they continue to do this one but they're able to win easily on the back of Peyton Ramsey's uh, out outstanding effort and the offense that they had going there so Northwestern fantastic year they can certainly hold their heads high and I feel like they're a, a fan base that could probably go across the year and, and feel pretty good about things to be fair Northwestern haven't played an SEC schedule, so... Yeah. Had a much, much more Auburn, difficult Auburn, Big Ten one. You know, Auburn probably didn't care about this game either, so <laughs> just keep that in mind. All right, let's get to the Rose Bowl game. This was a semi-final. Alabama took on Notre Dame. Fake to Najee Harris, and the quick strike to Devontae Smith, and he is in for a touchdown. God damn it, Devontae Smith. I am so in love with that guy as a prospect. Please, Tampa Bay, draft another wide receiver. Uh, <laughs> but Devontae Smith looks so, so good. Alabama did this easily. That particular score there put them up 21-7, to and it never really got any threatening after that. That doesn't even make sense. Notre Dame never really threatened after that. Uh, the Tide cruised to a 31-14 win, which sounds closer than it really was. Notre Dame managed to punch one in in the last quarter, but Alabama's offense is almost unstoppable, Will. Yeah, absolutely they are. So that combination has been getting so much airtime. Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, they were, they all were on fire in this one. They all shone. They, they are all that good. And as you mentioned, like this was 14 nothing, 10 minutes in, and it was done. Like I was on the phone to you at that point. Like, all right, what else is on? This one's kind of <laughs> over. Like, yeah. and and like Alabama are good to watch because they're so explosive and and so fun to play. But you want them to be in a competitive matchup, and this just never really shaped up to be one. Notre Dame would have to be bitterly disappointed after getting stomped in the ACC championship game, finishing what was initially a really really impressive season, going you know ten wins on the bounce, looking really good in doing it. They just completely fell away. I was hoping this one would be more competitive. I, I had a feeling going in, I was like, this is going to be 42-14, and I'm disappointed I got that wrong. It was pretty close. But uh, <laughs> Alabama, for mine, are just on another level to everyone at the moment. Uh, yeah. and, and so, I mean, to Notre Dame's credit, they scored a touchdown. They scored two, in fact. That's the first time they've done that in the playoffs. So well done, Notre Dame. But like a screen pass to uh, Devonta Smith, and like... I see this all the time. I watch enough college football to see a fucking wide receiver screen play and you get tackled. Like, things go well. Maybe you get 12 yards and you get tackled by someone back there. One of the safeties linebacker makes his way over, whatever. He's just... 
on a different level to Von Smith at the moment. I don't know what he is. He's not like a massive dude. He's a skinny no, he's fella skinny. and he's just got an extra gear where he just kind of makes a little wiggle move. One dude misses and he's untouched through the end zone. Like he is just, he's phenomenal and he will be lifting up the Heisman in a couple of short days. Yeah, I, I heard a, an interesting uh, little take, which I think is quite accurate. It's like Alabama's four stars are just better than your four stars. <laughs> Like, Alabama's five stars are just better than your five-star recruits. Alabama's guys who run 4-3 are faster than your guys that run 4-3. <laughs> like, it just, whatever they do, they just look so untouchable. They are just absolute freaks. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's an absolute weapon. Yeah, I mean, and they're all dedicated to the craft as well. Like, they're not just entitled four-star kids, five-star kids who have kind of had you everything given be, to them yeah like Saban machine you cannot it, be exactly that. right I, I read all this praise about these players and how they're you know devonta smith is on the kill unit on the punt team like yeah, he's the yeah. he's the gunner there what other heisman trophy finalists are fucking doing that like yeah. most kids who are five-star kids are like i don't play special teams because i'm i'm too good for that like we make it sound like every Alabama player makes it, they don't. They do have some flameouts as well. It just seems that they hit more than they miss. Uh, let's move on to the Sugar Bowl and Ohio State and Clemson. Four man rush, Fields has time. Watches downfield. It's Olave. He's got a touchdown. Ohio State. Play took a while. I mean, it, it, the offensive line does a good job. Look how he gets behind Nolan Turner. I don't know if they thought he could make that throw, Chris. Yeah, Chris Olave made two deep touchdowns. One to close the second, sorry, the first half, and then another one early, uh, partway through the third quarter, which Clemson felt like they had some momentum at that point. It was second and 10, and they just hit this deep strike, and, and that kept the, the Clemson Tigers at arm's length, and Ohio State controlled them from that point on. They, in fact, to the point where they made them look Almost second rate in a 49-28 to 28 victory. The Ohio State offensive line just whipped Clemson up front. That was the most impressive part and it, to me throughout the whole game. And it wasn't even close. They were playing on the other side of the ball so often that Trey Sermon, who you've already mentioned, could have been at Oklahoma or was at Oklahoma and transferred... He, he was just able to pick his way through the first line of the defense... But he'd already crossed the line of scrimmage. Like, and, and that is, you know, that's the gold standard of offensive line play. But he was doing that. He was two or three yards to the positive before he was even passing his own offensive lineman. And, and that's where you want to live. The Clemson defense, defense looks slow and unathletic on all levels from the safeties, even without Nolan Turner, who missed the first half. Skowski got thrown out of the game for spearing Justin Fields, which I think was probably a fair call. And whilst he's an intelligent like kind of player, they just they lacked athleticism across the board. They couldn't go with Trey Sermon, Chris Olave. Um Justin Clean Justin Fields, sorry, was kept extremely clean. No pass rush. Brent Venables got out coached completely and you don't see that very often. Travis Etienne never got going. Amari Rogers was kept quiet. Uh, and then as the game wore on, Trevor Lawrence came under fire more and more from that Ohio State defensive line. 
this was the all-around game from Ohio State that we've been waiting for and that they really needed to produce, and they did. They were good in the trenches. They were solid on the back end. They gave up a lot of yards, but never too many huge momentum-swinging plays. Trey Sermon, as I've mentioned a million times, he's a grown man at running back. He looks so good, and I would take him over ETN in the draft. I think he actually out etn to ETN in this game. Chris Olave balances out the passing game. The only big issue before I handball to you, Will, is that stop trying to tell me that Justin Fields should be the number one pick. He doesn't read the field post-snap consistently well. His intermediate game needs work. Just stop, people. Lawrence is the better pro at this point. Don't get carried away on one game. If you're going to get carried away on one game, go back two weeks and get carried away on another game, the Big Ten Championship. Just please, like, fucking shut up for a second. Trevor Lawrence is the better pro. Yeah, I mean, that's a good little segue into how I want to kind of break this one down. But Clemson scored the first two in this. So they went 14 nothing up. They were hot favorites going into it. A week ago, Justin Fields had completed less than 50% of his balls and thrown three interceptions and no touchdowns. Like, that, that, that was kind of where we were at 10 minutes into this game, seven minutes into this game. And you're thinking, fuck... We're going to see Clemson-Bama and, you know, this, this Clemson team is, is actually pretty good. Then something kind of flicked and Ohio State put the foot down and did not fucking stop. Justin Fields was on a, another level in this game that we haven't seen him play at yet. We know that that ability has kind of been there. You talk about a, a lot of his shortcomings. I mean, he was the number one recruit or number two recruit behind Trevor Lawrence if they're the same class. I can't remember. You're the recruiting guy. But these, these two have, have both been kind of stud guys coming out. They've been compared a lot. He has been excellent. I think they were at, the same class, actually, yeah. At, at, all, at all levels. Like, he, he's been a, a top guy. And in this one here, he threw six touchdowns, 22 of 28, and 385 yards in what was a near-perfect game. Like, he was unreal. You mentioned about that big hit that he took. That would... Like, he'd be pissing blood <laughs> still. That was fucking gnarly. I thought like, he was done. I actually thought... And, and when that happened, I was like, oh, this game... Because they were up at that point. I think they were up 28 14 and i was like he's done here and this really opens the door i think at that point they were only one touchdown up and it was like maybe yeah when he came back on the field he threw that touchdown to put them to the touchdown but then he limped off after that as well and i was like he cannot continue here he can barely walk so they jacked him up with heaps of drugs and and he battled through it like respect to that that's mad he was wild it was uh, like you you talk about Trey Sermon and the day that he had yeah sick he's had two insane matches but that toughness that Justin Fields showed in that one and the ability for Ohio State to just completely outcoach Clemson and just go off uh and like it was the 49 points that they rolled off the 21 unanswered in the third that were just really, really impressive to mine and, and set up a, a juicy matchup for the national championship now for them to... If, if they can repeat that, they can take it to Alabama. I think oh, ab- the, absolutely. The big question I've got is, are we going to see that? And I don't want to talk too much about what we're going to do that because we'll have a, an episode to break all that down. But like as you mentioned, we, we were, we've been waiting for this Ohio State team to put this all together and it just so happened that this was the one where it all fell into place and then they just whacked these Clemson Tigers. 
Yeah, I mean, probably we do have a little bit of time. Well, we don't have any time, but just to talk Clemson here for a second. But where does this leave them? Because you now lose Trevor Lawrence. Their offensive line got worse. They lose Travis Etienne. The defense looks... I mean, we're only three years removed from the best defensive line possibly assembled in college football history, and they could not get a pass rush. They could not get any pressure. The one sack they did get, they had to cook up a pretty exotic blitz to really work Justin Fields over. But for the rest of the day, they just could not get anything on him. And I just, I don't know. This Clemson team feels like potentially it is not the monster that Alabama, Ohio State, maybe LSU are. And, you know, that's a very hot, like quick hot take there. But I don't know. It just feels like this could go backwards for Clemson a fraction. Look, I mean, that, that feels like a, an overreaction to mine. Yes, they got smacked by LSU in the national championship last year. And yes, they were con- comprehensively beaten in this one. But this is still a team that is just like at a, a cultural level, streets ahead of everyone else mm. in the ACC with, with what they seem to be building there. Like, yes, any team that loses a player like Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne with what they've been able to achieve at the college level is going to hurt. Like, that, that's, that's going to take some replacing. But we know that DJ Ugal- Ukulele uh, is, <laughs> carries that Good. prestige about him. Like, he, he could be a special player himself. It, it, he's not going to walk in and be Trevor Lawrence, but he has the ability to turn out to be something awesome in his own right. So uh, they've got another kid behind him as well who's almost... Well, who as, actually came in a year earlier, who's... Who's almost the, as like, equally rated, like... No, higher. He was like the number one recruit in that class. The, so, so they're loaded at that position and everywhere were, else. Like but it's, the, the, they were loaded at this position this year as well and their offensive and defensive line got handled in this game and that was the difference, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So can you match it in the trenches? And um, I was impressed by Breesy. I think he's a fantastic unit at that kind of D-tackle position. Um, for Clemson they've still got a lot to like don't get me wrong I just think they need to get some more athleticism at the second and third level of that defense to be able to roll with some of these the other big schools because that's what they're comparing themselves to they want to compare themselves to Ohio State and Alabama and so they should well absolutely Uh, I mean they're winning national championships and playing in all the playoffs so they're in that conversation I mentioned this to you but got to be disappointed that Trevor Lawrence as a true freshman won a national championship and you didn't really you, you were never really in the LSU game last year. I know you made it to the national championship, but you were never really in it, and you weren't in it this year. You got trashed in the semifinal, and um, I, I don't know. I just think that's a disappointing outcome. You'll say that it's probably... I'm going to preempt you here, but you'll, you'll say it's probably okay because they're still good on a national level. But as I mentioned earlier, there's probably only six teams really in contention of a national championship, and when you've got the best quarterback in the last 10 years, you want to win more than one. Yeah, look, if after winning the first one, I could have taken Clemson, like him to walk away with another or not, my money would have been on him to to double down. So they'd be disappointed that they haven't been able to score another national championship on the back of what's been a fantastic career there. This extravaganza is getting extravaganza We are going large here. The Orange Bowl, Texas A&M 41, North Carolina 27 with just over 10 minutes left. North Carolina are up 27 to 20. North Carolina were one of the best 
fourth quarter offenses in the country, but that did not phase the Aggies at all as they put up 21 points to close out a really, really good Orange Bowl win. Um, the fact that North Carolina were in this game is impressive in and of itself. Michael Carter, Javante Williams both opted out. They're going to be uh, probably three, round three, round four running backs. Both of those guys will be gone, possibly a fraction earlier even. Um, their best pass catcher, Daami Brown, was gone as well. He opted out. And their leading tackler, Chaz Surratt, he will be in the NFL. And he was missing as well. So of their best five players... Four of them aren't there. The only one that did play was Sam Howe, and he had a really good game as well. So North Carolina can't be too disappointed, and, and Texas A&M, who apparently the number five team in the country, weren't that impressive until the last 10 minutes. Yeah, look, the best bit about Ohio State's comprehensive victory is we don't have to hear about how A&M should have been in or yeah, how yeah. some other team should have <laughs> yeah, been yeah, in because good. it's kind of like, well, these guys are really good, so... <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe Notre Dame, but we've we saw that A and M Alabama match. So look, yeah, A and M. I th I think were relatively competitive throughout. Like, this was an enjoyable matchup to watch. Yeah, was, I, I was kind of out up. strolling around and doing my best dad bit, where I had like the phone going and <laughs> like, the headphones in with the kid, and people kind of look at you like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I'm a college football fan. Whatever. Fuck off." Uh, and, and I enjoyed it. It was a good stroll, a good couple of hours of, of taking this game in. Uh, A&M just put, put the burners on and North Carolina did what North Carolina do and just kind of fell flat for a quarter of football. As you mentioned uh, off air to me that normally it was early in the game and then they came steamrolling home. But this one, they just completely kind of got shut out there i think it was a bit of attrition they were missing dudes uh they rely so heavily on that um that, that two-headed backfield that, that, that they had yeah. that monster uh and with that gone it was all on sam howe who i thought was admirable in this game like i, I haven't been a big sam howe guy you know i'm not huge on him but he certainly won me over a little bit in this matchup with some of what he was able to provide uh, um so look Full credit to A&M. Uh, they, they got the win in what was uh, an entertaining matchup for mine. In the Fiesta Bowl, Iowa State 34. We've heard so much about them already. Oregon 17. Hey, Ducks, don't turn the ball over four times. How about that? All right, Will, here's your chance to suck off the Big 12 a little more. Off you go. Yeah, or score in the second half. I mean, uh, <laughs> this is a perfect end for the Iowa State. Uh, football program and what Matt Campbell's been able to build there so I'm surprised he's still there he, he hasn't taken a job somewhere else Some, someone hasn't backed the truck up and been able to win him quick question will he be the head football coach at Iowa State next year I believe so just because I can't see another position opening up between here and there that he would want to jump out of this situation of uh, Brock Purdy has decided he's coming back again next year so they'd be looking to try and kind of continue what they've got going on here and, and this unprecedented uh, level of success that they found at Iowa State, they'll keep going that until he kind of has that same thing I was talking about with Urban Meyer before, an ideal situation that you want to walk into. And I just don't think there's going to be enough openings from, from now on that would lure him away from what he's got going on there. Hmm. Interesting. All right, uh, Old Miss 26, Indiana 20. Disappointing finish for the Hoosiers. Uh, my love affair with Old Miss continues and they're going to be ranked to start the season next year. Matt Corral, get around him. 
Yeah, look, that's fair enough too. Uh, they've fantastic year. The first bowl victory in five years, I think it was. And on the back of that, it looks as if Lane Kiffin has been given a contract extension. Yeah, cheeky extension. Uh, Kentucky 23, NC State 21. All right, let's get to the rewind really quickly because we've got a few other bits and pieces. <laughs> Give me Max Duffy selling a whole heap of candy before getting a punt away for Kentucky. I'm sure you've seen it. It's made news over here. It made news in America. But that is my rewind. Go back and watch that one. Yeah, absolutely do that. I've never been like a classy enough footballer to pull that off. Oh. Like I, th- I think I've got a slow release. So if I ever tried that, the dude might <laughs> fake out, but he'd still have time to recover and just pick me up and put me on my ass. So that was good. And he got good purchase on it too. Like he had to kind of direct it. I, I love that. Uh, for mine, I was like literally gobsmacked when I saw that Najee Harris hurdle where, where he got high and he just straight yeah. jumped over the dude. Like, watching that live, I was just like, my word, that bloke is one. He's not trying to tackle low. Like, it's no. pretty piss-poor tackling technique, but he's not getting all that low. piss-poor when the hurdle happens. Yeah, I mean, true. But he's just kind of, like, straight standing up and he's just going, I'm just going to clean you and, like, go untouched. It was unreal. I fucking loved it. Uh, and he actually made yards after that. Often you see like dudes hurdle and then they just get tackled after an extra yard. But no, he went and added another 30 after that. All right, let's get into Aussies in action. What have you got for us, William? Boom. Plenty of Aussies running around uh, championship or around the bowl game previews because if you want to be a successful program, you need to have an Aussie punter. So Correct. going through the, the best uh, efforts that we have, we had Lane Wilkins go seven punts at 47. Uh, sorry, 43.7, uh, which is uh, a really steady day. We have both Lou Headley and Tom Hutton going head-to-head in the Cheese it Bowl. Uh, we had Louis Headley at three at 44.7, continuing his fantastic season. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how he goes in the Ray Guy Award. I think he's going to get pipped in that one. but he is. I mean, he was a second-team All-American. Yeah, and it's usually a pretty good indicator. Um, Mm. Tom Hutton, 5.41.6, was one of his better days on the year. Uh, Oscar Chapman out of Auburn had a fantastic outing in their disappointing loss with 5.47.4. So he's a a freshman there out of Adelaide, and I think he's got a big career there uh, and can really make things happen with the new head coach coming in, Nick Constantino. At Texas A&M, 5-42, another fantastic year. James Smith, finishing up his career at Cincinnati, had eight punts at 44. And Tom Snee getting it done uh, at Oregon uh, with three punts, an average of 47.3. Good job to all the boys. I hope they enjoyed their bowl game. I know it probably wasn't what they normally would expect and be a part of, but either way, it is an enjoyable reward for... A long, long season, which will now continue, actually. Yeah, massive, massive shout-out to all the boys who've finished up their careers now, too. I mean, that'll be the last game that a lot of them have played in and will ever play in as well. So I'm sure it's been a hell of a ride. I know you and I are really hoping to kind of tap a few boys on the shoulder and, and have a bit of a chat about some of the experiences they've had in the off-season. So that's certainly something we're keen to do. But I'm sure they've had unreal times and, and I kind of am starting to see on, on the socials some of the stuff coming through and the thanks and the, the times that they've had. They've they've been fantastic playmakers for their programs and it's, it's really like a life-changing four years for all of these boys, I'm sure. 
And not only that, I think like this class probably more than most is one that we've followed more, I feel like, because they were kind of there at the start or very close to. Um, and, and we have kept a, a closer eye on these guys. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, all the best to them and their futures. And hopefully we'll get to have a chat to a few of them and, and bring you some bring you some noise, bring you some feedback and, and th- their experiences as well. All right, let's get on the punt because you did gamble a whole bunch of shit, I assume, Will. And I'll just play this because I know you will have lost money. Yeah, lots. Lots and lots. <laughs> Fuck. I, yeah. This was bad, bad. Like, listening back, I, I did have to listen back because I, I, like, I looked at my statement and I'm like, did I really say all this? Like looking at it. And then I listened back and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like the A&M uh, North Carolina one. The, the whole episode, I talk about how good A&M are and how much they're going to win by, and then I'm like, put your money on North Carolina. What the fuck is wrong with me? I've, I've had uh, a, a terrible week, so let's start with the good. Uh, the Arkansas TCU game got cancelled due to COVID. That, so that's, your, that's your good? That's the good. I, <laughs> I did not lose my, uh, my couple of units on that. Uh, from there, it's all pretty downhill. So, oh, God. I had Tulsa to beat Mississippi State. They couldn't even beat them in the fight. Uh, <laughs> I had Oregon over Iowa State, even though I thought Iowa State was a better football program. I had North Carolina over A&M, even though I talked about how much A&M would win by, and then I multied all of those together. So, all up, I had eight units invested there, and... They all went by the wayside, so that's a negative eight units that we've had uh, doled out in that one, which is the worst since week four, which is not good. Um, and that takes us to a running total. We're, we're getting in real, real rare territory here. Negative 38.4 units. What? Oof. What is that? Is that like... Oh, we'll talk about this off air. But yeah. Um, <laughs> even then, <laughs> maybe not. That's some serious cash. Uh, are you going to bet on the national championship game? Absolutely, I am. So everyone listening, I've got a, I've got a real hot, spicy pick for that already. Lined uh, up in the gun. Ten units on one, one thing. Yeah, nail it. Devonte Smith to do something. Under 60 receiving yards. No, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. All right, that brings us to the end of our bowl recap extravaganza. Uh, It has been a monster. So uh, have fun chopping this one up, Will. And Yeah, if uh, you're still here listening with us, thank you. I mean, Yeah, you might have to... Across the year, the fact that you've made it this far across the year, let alone this deep in the episode. Yeah, impressive. Uh, so as always make sure you do hit us up on Twitter Instagram and Facebook at College Football Down Under leave us a five star review and of course uh, get those comments in as well they all help the show Uh, thank you for listening on behalf of myself and that guy over there my name is Aaron that is Will and we will see you for National Championship Preview next time